So we've been in this series on the book of Acts, which we've called Jesus Keeps It Moving. And the idea is that Acts is actually the sequel to Luke. So the Gospel of Luke was written by a physician named Luke. And he writes this letter to Theophilus, which in Greek means, you know, the one who loves God, <laughs> the friend of God, right? And, and in the beginning of Acts, he says, I already wrote to you, Theophilus, the things that Jesus began to do. And now I write to you the things he continued to do. So there's this idea that, well, Jesus is sort of only in the picture for the first chapter, the first 11 verses, and then all of a sudden he ascends to heaven, he sends down the Holy Spirit. And yet, Jesus still keeps moving. His death, His death and resurrection, His leaving the presence of the disciples, it's not a problem. Because now, He sends His Spirit to live in His people. And we waited for so long, and we were in those first 11 chapters for like three weeks and it was slow, and we wanted to stop. And we wanted to just sort of wait. And we wanted to, to impress on you that we are in a series right now, a season right now, where we are, we are also waiting. 5% of what we're doing is like trying to get the polish right. Okay, because, yeah, yeah, we're trying to do that. We're trying to figure out... What I mean by that is like we're trying to figure out like how our services will run, what makes sense here, you know, get some get some good musicians and you, you know what I'm saying? Get the contact list, all that stuff. Like that stuff's that stuff's important, but that's like five percent of what we're trying to do. The rest of it is getting to know each other. <laughs> Calling each other up during the week, visiting each other, bringing each other meals when we're struggling. Lending each other things that we need. Getting an understanding of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be filled with His Spirit. So that when we launch in March, it's not just this random collection of people that we invited. But there is a family that we've been walking together since the spring when we started meeting in, in our house over on Powell Street, and then continue to gather over in the bar, right, on King Street. We want to extend the welcome of Jesus. And, and as we're sort of like building up this architecture under us, under our feet, we're building up this foundation of community and family and love and a basic understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and be a part of his family, we are also waiting and praying. We want to see, we want to see God show up. We want to see in March people's lives turned upside down and people who feel like their lives are upside down right now turned right side up. We, we want to see the, the comfortable challenged and those who are in distress those who are mourning, those who are struggling, comforted. Well, I'm going to get to it. But uh, today we are in Acts 5. And like I said, we spent a long time in the first chapter leading up an entire month. Now we're flying through the book of Acts. We're not even 
going to cover every chapter. We're actually going to be done by the end of November, so we're only picking like a few here and there. And the idea is just to get a little snapshot here and there of what kind of church we long to be. Not, not, a, not a proper, like, let's go through this whole book and study it. Okay? And today we're in Acts chapter 5. And I don't know if anybody's there in those church Bibles yet. Not sure what page number it is. What's that? Okay, awesome. So on page 970. 970. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about the Miraculous Church tonight. Talk about the Miraculous Church. But it's not just going to be me talking, you know, certainly not for like 50 minutes again. What we're going to do is I'm going to split you guys up into three different groups so that we can look at this whole chapter. And you're just going to look at your own section and I'm going to, I have some questions for you for you to discuss, and then you're going to pick somebody to share with everybody else. So I was a, um, I taught pastors, I did theological education, I taught in Rwanda, and so it's like this big temptation for me to always kind of flow once in a while back into teacher mode, (laughs) but I think sometimes we get something out of that that we don't just by like sitting passively and listening, okay? So, if we could, you might have to move where, where you are, but if we could get into groups that are roughly even three different groups, and uh, I'm going to let you do that, because um, everybody's of age. So, all right, so we got to, all right, I think we got three groups, perfect. You get to choose, Kayla. Everybody wants you. (laughs) Who, where will she go? (laughs) All right. All right, everybody over here on the left, or uh, yeah, you're right, whatever. I want you to read Acts chapter 5, 1 to 11, okay? Acts chapter 5, 1 to 11. And then group 2, which is in the very back. Okay, I want you to read Acts 5, 12 to 16. And then... I want you, group three, to read about the angelic breakout, Acts 5, 17 to 32. So you're the most work. Congratulations. So what you're going to do is pick somebody, read it, listen, okay? And then 
I want you to summarize what's going on. Okay, so someone reads the passage, then together you summarize what's going on with an emphasis on listing what miraculous happened in this passage. So just list it. And somebody could write that down. And uh, we have pens. If, if you, does everybody, anybody need a pen? So we only need one per group. So you're going you're gonna to read the passage and you're going to write down what you feel like is miraculous. Okay? And then next to each thing that you see as miraculous, you're going to write down what you guys decide together, what you think is the reason that God broke in, right? Like, why that miracle? So what do you think God was trying to demonstrate? Because last week I talked about how miracles are called signs in the Bible, and they point to a greater reality. Any questions? Read the passage, list the miracles, and come up with your idea of what those miracles meant or why God worked that way. I'll give you like five minutes to do that, and then, then we'll share together as a whole group. All right? passage of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, <laughs> uh, basically, uh, they come to uh, give to the church after having sold the property. Uh, but in reality, um, they said that they were giving everything, but they kept a portion back for themselves. Yeah. And uh, kind of the miracles that we saw were first that Peter... Um, was given the gift or the ability to see what was in Ananias and Sapphira's heart. Um, kind of called them out on that. And then without any like real agents, agency, no like weapon or anything like that, you kind of see the power of God in that they just dropped dead. Um, and so we, why did God do this? Um, obviously they lied. Uh, it seemed that they wanted to uh, give people the impression that they were really super generous, uh, even though uh, in reality they were trying to keep part of it back for themselves. And then also, like it seems like there's some fear of man, like they weren't being genuine and honest. Uh, they wanted people to think well of them. Uh, and, and then really, on account of that, to kind of teach the whole congregation to kind of walk in humility. Yeah, so like, so like the result of their freaky death was a sense of fear came upon the whole city, right? And if you remember, 
right before this, something similar happens with this guy named Joseph. Right? He sells this property he has and he lays it in front of the apostles' feet and then they give him a new name. Barnabas. And he becomes a pretty central figure. He, he's a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. So there's a little bit more going on than just, you know, you can read this if you just read it out of context and you just think like, like wow, this just seems so severe. I mean, they sold property and they gave some to the church. Isn't that enough? But you have to understand what's going on, right? They see what Barnabas does and the position that he ends up having and the, and the, and the respect and honor. And this new movement, and this is like really important to us, where we're at. This new movement, this, this, this family, is really still like a baby. And God's not going to let anything come in and mess with that baby. And to allow these people to be false that early on in the church, to lie, to, to get all kinds of praise, and then be in power and be in leadership, they could have derailed the whole thing. Remember Dylan, a few weeks ago, was in Acts 1, and he was talking about leaders of the movement and how they replaced Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, and there was a whole like way they had to do that. So like that story is very severe, but it but it it gives us this picture of how God will protect his baby, right? He will protect his people and this movement. And yeah, that's part of the that's part of the aspect of God and, and the miracles of God. It's not just coming through <laughs> for you. In 2017, right? <laughs> Part of it is even the miracles that saved their necks. Remember when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus? And Jesus told the storm to be quiet, like a little misbehaving child. <laughs> and the storm was quiet. And what happens? Are, are, are the disciples like, yeah, go Jesus? They were terrified. And they said, what kind of man is he? That the wind and the waves obey his voice. So that's like an aspect that I want to pull out of that. That, 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 that. Yeah, miracles remind us that God is not like us. And there's fear and there's wonder. Who wants to? <laughs> They'll do it in Spanish? <laughs> this is Acts 5, 12 to, to 17, and talking about the signs and wonders that the apostles did. Uh, the, they did people were getting saved, certainly. Uh, they fit, there was some physical healing going on, people that were tormented by spirits and that were lame and being carried out to the streets. There, were, there was some 
actual favor that the church was receiving from the from the folks outside of the church, then there was a great respect for them that says that they they didn't want to associate with them, but they also spoke well of them. So a number of things happening, but also God's we see God's mercy and his compassion as he's healing people and his love for, for the least and the lost. And so, yeah, a lot going on in here in this passage. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just have one question. It's interesting. You'd almost say it could be the opposite now. Like, you can find places where the church is absolutely on its knees begging for approval and for people to come in willing to change everything willing to change everything to, to get people in and yet and yet out, people on the outside of, of that community are like I have no respect I have no respect for that institution and so what you have there is like there's this miraculous church there's this church where God's breaking in and yet at the same time people are 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 frightened by them and yet they they respect them because God's doing something there that's something for us to aspire to you know we, we want to be a community where it's like yeah, I don't know, like, if I agree with them, and we're okay with that. But, like, stuff is happening there. And they love people. And I know people whose lives have been turned upside down at that place. With those people. All right. So we had Acts 17 to 32, and basically the angels came to the apostles after they were uh, in prison. And while in the prison, when the angels appeared, they opened the doors and told the apostles to go to the temple's door and preach his name. And when, I guess the next door, the next morning, when the guards went to go retrieve the apostles, they weren't there. But yet the doors were locked and the guards were still there. So when they went back to the high priest and told him what happened, the high priest looked pretty much scared. And afterwards, someone came up to the high priest and told him that the apostles that you had arrested were at the temple doors preaching his name. So the guards went to go retrieve them nonviolently. And when they came back, they asked them, you know, we told you not to preach his name, and they said, we don't obey man, we obey God. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, so in, in some of those, uh, some of those God things that happened, why, why do you think God showed up in that particular way?
Like, why, why did God show up? Like, what do you think are some of the reasons God was working the story out the way it worked out? What does it have to teach us? Physical men can't stop them, and physical walls can't stop them. Can't stop the gospel. All right, so men and walls, not a problem. Earlier, false, false, like a false brother and a false sister doesn't stop the movement. Movement could have been derailed by Ananias and Sapphira had they gained influence. So there's like problems from within and there's problems from without. And it's funny because just last week we were talking about these, these guys, you know, Peter and John specifically before the Sadducees. And they just were warned then. It goes beyond warning now, doesn't it? They get beat. <laughs> Why didn't God, like, why would God allow and open up the door, send an angel, right, and break them out, but on the other hand, allow them to get beat? Testing your faith. Yeah. Could be testing faith. Yeah. Paul said that the, his problems he had kept him humble. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that testing, that idea of testing. There's also that idea of teaching. And, and, and God speaking and saying, keeping them, hum, keeping them humble. Yeah. 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 Jesus told them this is all going to happen, by the way. Yeah. Right? He warned them. He, he let them know. You are going to be my witnesses. And as I talked about last week, he, like in the very literal, you will be in court and you will have to be a witness to what I'm doing. And you're going to suffer for it. Like he broke it all down for them. Yet he delivers them out. It's interesting. He delivers them out of bad situations. But it, but he doesn't protect them from every problem they're going to face. All right, just keep all that in your memory banks. When you think about how God works, he delivers, he delivers his people. But that doesn't mean that he spares them from testing. It doesn't mean that he protects them and keeps them safe from all the trouble of the world. But he comes down and he grabs them out of their situation and, and, and he rescues them quite often. All right. So let's, let's wrap up this discussion. I, I hope that's, that's helpful. I, one of the things that I want to do is, is to help us just read the word. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. It's not, it's not like this like far out there thing that we could never understand and we have to get a million degrees, right? We can just read the stories and they mean something to us right now. Now, as we aspire here to be also a miraculous church, I asked a couple questions last week. I said, you know, if you remember, I asked, now were the apostles special men, somehow commissioned by Jesus, and so they had this gift of healing and and does that mean that 
in some sense, we should not ask for these signs and wonders? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, they were specially installed. They were specially appointed. They were especially ordained by Jesus. Yes, we, we remember as Dylan taught about leaders for the movement, how there were very specific requirements to be an apostle. They had to be there from the baptism of John, which is basically the start of Jesus' ministry, and be there the whole time, and then have witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. So they had to have been with Jesus those three and a half years, and then they had to also have seen him with their eyes after he was dead. Why? Because once you see something like that, you're willing to die for that. I don't care who you are. You see somebody that you followed, they made all these promises about building God's kingdom, you think it's all come crashing down when they nail him on the cross. But then he has victory and defeats death itself, and he's walking around. So, yeah, having a meal, having lunch with them, frying fish on the side of the sea. It's crazy. What I'm getting at is, like we talk a lot about, we don't want to shame anybody for where they're not spiritually. And actually all of us are skeptics, all of us are seekers, all of us are struggling in some way. But this is something that we have to be honest with ourselves. What value does any of this have if we don't admit the supernatural. This is not all about getting a bunch of good things to meditate on so we can think positively. Having good community. At the very center of this message is a miracle. The very center of the message of Christianity and the story of Christianity is the resurrection of a man named Jesus. That's, that's the bedrock of the faith. And so from the very beginning, the church is a church that believes in miracles. But what happens is, sometimes even those on the other side, um, and, and for some of you who maybe you, you've grown up in this or you've spent a long time with this, you accept like certain miracles. You accept yeah, like the resurrection. You accept these big things that are like written down. But let's just say one of us had a dream or a vision. And we were trying to share that with you. A lot of us would have the instincts to listen politely, nod our heads, and begin to think immediately what kind of medication you need. <laughs> what kind of counseling you need, right? So we would think. Now if that person who's sharing that story is somebody that has a bad track record, has been unstable, that makes a lot of sense. And it's probably the right call, you know? Somebody's telling you these stories and, and, and you've also like their entire track record with you has been really unstable, 
then yeah. But then we got to check ourselves and our own assumptions when we automatically go and deny the supernatural. We affirm it in these few categories. Like, yeah, one time, 2,000 years ago, a guy rose from the dead, but every other thing needs to be proven by a certain method. So if you've got somebody that's telling you X, Y, Z happened, and they have, they have to that point been someone that you can trust and you can rely and the fruit of their life is right, why is it instinctual to just start to discredit what they're telling you? Yeah, we, 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 have, we have drank in deeply what we've been taught since we were little kids in school, that the only thing that have um, explanations that have any meaning or any way, in any sense, real, have a scientific explanation. We've been just taught to think like that. And I'm not going to drill any deeper than that, but I'm just gonna, I just wanna open that up and just help you to see it and acknowledge it. We live in Central Africa where the spiritual world, the unseen world, and the physical world were pretty much on a daily basis connected to each other. I, I remember, um, talking to some folks, um, and they, they turned me on to some of the stuff's happening in China with the house churches. And there's been multiple studies done. Multiple studies. And this is not just the, the wild, like, house churches. This is also the government-approved churches in China. They did a survey across the three south and the house church, underground churches, and they they found out that 90% of people who become Christians become Christians because of some healing that happens in their life or in their family's life. I remember I went to seminary and uh, we had these guys from Brazil and they were... And, and, and we were talking about, like, how do we reach out? How do we make disciples? How do we kind of introduce ourselves to the wider community and, and try to find folks who'd be interested in being a part of our community and learning about Jesus? And, you know, we're talking about, like, you know, websites and movies and cards and whatever dumb stuff we're talking about. And then these Brazilian guys are like... Well, what we do is we go two by two because we read that in Luke 10. And we just like knock on doors. We just go out all around in the community, in the, the barrios, you know, we, 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 we meet people. We say, is there anything in this home? Is there any sickness? Is there any, anything we could pray about? So they go to the businesses. Can we pray for your business? I've done this. I've done this on Broadway, in Gloucester, and it's met with 100% acceptance. I've never had somebody chase me out. And in fact, when I'm praying for their business, they start telling me about their kid that they're struggling with. They start telling me about a bunch of other stuff and open up. And then they visit, 
these, these Brazilian guys in my class, they visit six months later, and they're like, well, what happened? We prayed for healing. And then as God was healing people, they were like, all right, well, Jesus did that. We prayed for you. Now this is what the gospel's all about. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. I just want to open the door, crack it open. I know like a lot of all of this stuff is like new to a lot of us here, but I, I want you all to know what you're getting into. <laughs> and to be honest 100% with you, we long to be a church where God isn't put in a box and he can only do X, Y, Z. We want to be a community that has faith. And I'll end with this. We need to be a community that has both faith and patience. Okay? So faith. Faith that your addict, junkie brother can get snapped out of that today. Because I've seen it. Faith in God that that can happen like right now, this moment. I've seen it. And patience and love enough to walk with them for years if it doesn't happen that way. Walk with them for years. And not like love them to death by enabling him to do all the stuff that he's doing to wreck his life. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about every little like centimeter that that brother's willing to walk in the right direction. You're right there like a cheerleader. And you're saying, yeah, come on. This is the right direction. Come on, you can be healed in the, in, in the Lord. Come on, I'm praying for you. I love you. So we need to be a community that believes God can show up expects and waits for God to show up, but at the same time obeys God and will love people and walk with them, even if it takes years. Sometimes God is going to break the walls down of the prison, and other times he's going to let you be beat. <laughs> Just like we read in that story. There was this evangelist. I uh, have a picture here. There's a church in India. I got to meet this guy, Isaac Shaw. Incredible guy. Started, he, he, he's a part of this ministry that since 1954 has started 4,000 churches in northern India, which is the part of the world where there are the least number of churches and one of the most densely populated places on earth. 800 million people in one state in Uttar Pradesh. 800 million. We have like 500 million, okay? In our whole country. And in this one state, they have 800 million. And um, I remember meeting one of his guys and he came in and he showed me his journal. He showed me his journal and he's like, before I was trained, before I, I was not a follower of worshiper of Jesus, I was also illiterate, I also beat my wife. And 
you know, had like this long list of things. I was, I was, I was. Here is, here is 20 pages into my journal, a lesson that I prepared about marriage. So I went from illiterate to a year of being discipled and trained. I am writing down lessons, journaling it, and teaching others about God's plan for marriage. Let's pray. God, I just, I thank you, God, for everybody here. We want to pray that you bless our time eating together, fellowshipping together. God, thank you for your word. This is the beginning of the conversation, the beginning of, the, of thinking about how you are a miraculous God. Your church ought to be miraculous. But Lord, just like my, my, my brother Isaac Shaw, who's still faithfully planning churches in a tough, tough place, as he says, the Holy Spirit is like a leopard. He <laughs> said, you, you go into the forest, you don't make appointments with the leopard. You're lucky if you meet him. Lord, we also know that the way you work is not some way, not something that we can control. It's not about us like talking loud enough or dancing in the right kind of way or setting the music to the right kind of way. You show up when you want to show up. And we can't make appointments. We can wait and we can cry out. And that's what we want to do. And it's the same thing. We can't move the dial on the people we love in our lives. We can't, we can't reach down and be like the little Jesus who saves our family members. Lord, we're waiting for you. We're waiting for you to move the dial. We're waiting for you to show up in our lives, in our friends' lives, in our neighbors' lives. Lord, we can do nothing without you. Lord, we want you to show up here in Gloucester. In Jesus' name, amen.